This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It is a Wednesday, the 14th of December. Here's what's coming up this morning on the podcast. We are going to kick off with some big economic news. Dubai PMI data is out. We've also had some data from Sheikh Hamdan, the Crown Prince of Dubai. So we'll get details on that. Then jumping straight into real estate. La Mer, a big chunk of it is shutting down for a year. They're going to redevelop it. Going to get the thoughts of the boss, Shuram Shamsi, CEO of Merex Investment Group. What else have we got? Staying with real estate, Ali Sajwani, managing director, Damak Properties. They celebrate their 40th anniversary this year. So we've been finding out more about, of course, the past, but also what the future holds in store. And finally, you're going to enjoy this one. Talking cryptocurrencies with the lawyer, Irina Heaver. She is a partner in an international law firm, head of digital assets, giving us her thoughts on the collapse of FTX and the fact that SBF is behind bars in the Bahamas. All that to come. First up, though, let's jump straight into that economic data. Talking of champions, uh, Daniel Richards uh, has been uh, giving us his thoughts this morning. Daniel is the senior economist of the Emirates NBD. We got Dubai PMI data out yesterday. Um, Good, not barnstorming, but good. Uh, Wanted Daniel to give us his thoughts and the key economic takeaways from that latest data. The S&P Global Dubai PMI, which was released yesterday morning, slipped to 54.9 for November, down from 56 in October. So that actually marked the lowest reading for the index since April. And while business output increased pretty sharply again last month, the pace of new work growth slowed, weighing on the overall index. And that weakness in new work growth was particularly evident in travel and tourism and wholesale and retail trade. Now, this uh, slowdown in the non-oil private sector is to be expected given what we're seeing in terms of the global uh, pressures on the global economy and also um, you know, the strong dollar and the interest rate hikes we've already had this year. So a slowdown was anticipated, but I think it's worth bearing in mind that at 54.9, that's still pretty strongly in expansionary territory above that neutral 50 level. And when you compare that to the rest of the world, where most PMI surveys have slipped into the negative sub-50 territory, but the Dubai is still performing pretty well. Other economic data we got yesterday was from the aforementioned Sheikh Hamdan, mm. patronage of the Super Cup. Um, I've got two stats from Sheikh Hamdan. Do you want the boring stat from his Twitter feed or the exciting stat from his Instagram feed? Exciting. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, at Faust 3 is, is more fun. Than his his Twitter his Twitter feed is his you know official you know grown up obviously you know running a country feed um, heart rate of eighty three beats per minute. There's a picture of him exercising in a Nike t shirt because oh. obviously he's a fitness. Yeah, um, well, he's well into his fitness. There's the pictures of him diving in a swimming pool, but eighty three beats per minute. Uh, so that's one stat from at fast three. Uh, how many followers has he got on at fast three? I bet he's got more on Insta there. Oh yes. Yes, I'm right. 15 million followers on Instagram. That's well over the population of the country. 5 million on Twitter. 
And the Twitter's good and it's important. And, you know, he's the crown prince of the country and I get it. So this is the Twitter one. Dubai's GDP grew 4.6% year on year in the first nine months of 2022 to 307.5 billion dirhams. It's important. It matters with a business breakfast. Exactly that. But I'd just rather watch pictures of him exercising and jumping out of planes and <laughs> posting his heartbeat while he's doing it. We've also got that Fed decision. Is that happening tonight? Yeah, it is, yeah. So the meeting started yesterday. A decision is going to be coming along tonight. Most people are expecting a 50 basis point hike in America, which means a 50 basis point hike here. It's not good news for my mortgage, mate. not buying you any coffees next month. You're not getting anything for Christmas. I'm broke. <laughs> but we asked you Dan- can't do that. You've just started the show telling us about how well you've done out of the pound sterling. I did well out of the pound sterling, <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the dollar, the... the These Fed rate hikes are killing me on my mortgage. Uh, But joking apart, we asked Daniel Richard, CD economist, Emirates NBD. Decisions coming out around about 10pm UAE time tonight. It's the decision. Also, the commentary from Jay Powell will be closely followed. This is Dan's take. So the US FOMC is due to make its rate decision for December at 11 o'clock our time tonight. Uh, That is the rate setting committee of the Federal Reserve, so the the US central bank in essence. Now, what we expect to see is a 50 basis point hike, which would make a slowdown from the four consecutive 75 basis point hikes we've seen over preceding meetings. What we saw last night in terms of a lower than expected CPI inflation print would go some way to confirm that as well. Inflation is starting to cool off in the US, giving the Federal Reserve a space to slow down the pace of their hikes. That being said, though, we don't expect that a pivot is there just yet, as the Fed has been very vocal in terms of wanting to crush that nascent inflation entirely. So a slowdown, yes, a pivot, not just yet. Uh, Daniel Richards there, the senior economist, Emirates NBD. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. We say merci beaucoup to the French singer Charles Trenet there, La Mer, his classic song from the 1940s. We're talking about La Mer because it's shutting down. Uh, for quite some time now, joining us in the studio is the Chief Executive Officer of the developer of La Mer, Merex Investment Group, Sharam Shamsay. Good morning, Sharam. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks very much indeed. La Mer, lots of questions coming in about this. You're shutting it down and redeveloping it. What's going on? Well, um, actually, we're not shutting it down. We've got a portion of La Mer, right? So if you, if you go to La Mer today, the north is... Uh, what what it is, it's still open, it's trading. A portion of it, which we call South La Mer, um, uh, which will, uh, is going through a what we call an enhancement of the site um, uh, with uh, a branding of J1 Beach. And uh, we hope to get back up and running by next December. And uh, it's, it's just really a, um, a complete enhancement of the experience. Um, from your front door to uh, car parking, uh, we're adding car parking. We're bringing in three major um, uh, renowned uh, beach clubs uh, from you know, uh, that will be an enhancement to the area. 
10 premium restaurants. Um, so the beach is still there uh, as the sort of redevelopment, if you want to call it that, uh, it wasn't an easy decision. We looked at how do we do this without sort of having to uh, close off a portion of it. Uh, but uh, really, there was sometimes you have to kind of uh, go through a process to get there. Okay, so if, if people know La Mer, and a lot of people listening will, it's down in the Jumeirah part of Dubai. It's a long strip of beach. Correct. And it's had um, a, a water park and some nice retail and some nice restaurants as well and a, and a nice bit of beach. Fine. So the water park stays. That's going to be open throughout. Correct. Yeah. That's, that's open, right? Yeah. There's been no impact on that. But a big chunk of it is going to be shut down and, and redeveloped. Um. I like the mayor. I go quite often, but Tom and I were chatting earlier on. Being candid, you know, you you go there in summer, and a lot of the retail and F and B was very very quiet because it's all open air, and that's beautiful at this time of year in December. But it can be quite challenging in August. So, what were the issues with that part of Le Mer that you wanted to address? Well, I mean, you just. Um really hit the nail on the button. Uh, we have a seasonality issue there. We, we you know, in totality, La Mer um, had about 160 food and beverage uh, sort of outlets. So we, we looked at this, uh, the process started about two and a half years ago. Um, it, it's taken about 18 months of planning for us to get there. Um, and what, we, what we've done is with the customer in mind, uh, given the seasonality aspects of it, uh, looked at how do we make it better, right? How do we really enhance it? Um, when, when you say with the customer in mind, do you mean your customer, who is the tenant who's renting the shop, well, or do you mean me and Tom as the guys who go there on a Tuesday with both, our family? Both. Uh, you know, the uh, obviously the ultimate customer is you and Tom, right? Um, so on on you know on the reopening, that it'll be interesting to hear people's views, right? Um, it was all about. How do we make it more pleasant? Your sense of arrival, car parking, um, pedestrian travel within, you know, uh, because because of the seasonality aspects of it. Uh, so it, there was a lot of thought put into this. So what we did is, you know, uh, let's say the South, which in totality had about 70 food and beverage outlets, we kind of, in a way, buttoned that up with... You still have predominantly food entertainment, uh, as you know, and it's a, it's a resort destination, but uh, just a different product mix, and, and a total enhancement from you know lighting, uh, a sense of arrival. So on the reopening, one of the things you're going to uh, see is it's almost got a five star hotel arrival experience, right? Uh, a valet car parking across the front uh, front door. Uh, you don't, you know, we make your sort of getting there and the access points a lot more convenient than what it is at the moment, right? So, so you've gone from 70, is it F&B retail outlets? How yes. many would it be a year uh, from now? 10, uh, ten uh, premium restaurants and three beach clubs. Okay, fine. So it will be it will be fewer but better is kind of the theory. Correct, correct. Okay, I, I get that. Now, in terms of, of real estate, that is prime beachfront real estate. And we know how much in demand beachfront real estate is. What are the thoughts on residential development there? Well, we have quite a bit of residential development around us already in uh, Sur La Mer, Porto La Mer. Um, so it's, it's an entire community. Um, there's obviously there's 
more of it happening uh, on the southern side of the site. Uh, you know, we don't own those plots of land, but there's other developers who are developing residential. Um, yeah, it's uh, it is. So that's that's happening. The residential is is happening. Correct. Yes. Okay. Fine. We've only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, just to take a step back, Merex, not a household name here in Dubai. You're a joint venture between Maras, who originally developed La Mer and City Walk and uh, JBR Beach, and ICD Brookfield, one of the world's biggest real estate companies or uh, alternative asset managers. Right? Well, um, we're a joint venture between Dubai Holding and yeah. Brookfield. Yeah. Um, ICD Brookfield is a, another joint venture, right? Um, so, um, <laughs> okay, th- thanks, <laughs> for, thanks for clarifying that. <laughs> right. and, and full disclosure, we are part of Dubai Holding, so I, I'm, I'm, yes. I'm trying to get my head around the org chart, but fine. But so the, the point I'm getting to is you've got this international expertise from Brookfield, one of the world's biggest real estate owners, alternative asset managers. You had decades with Majid Arfate, one of the most successful retailers in this region. What learnings can you bring from that international and local experience and take there? 30 seconds on that. Yeah, look, you just have to move with the times. My, uh, the only, uh, the city... Uh, is amazing where we where we have started. I've lived in Dubai for 28 years, seeing the progression of that city. What you know, what we're doing at La Mer today is just a natural progression of uh, taking something that was pretty good and making it spectacular, right? And you know, give it 12 to 14 months. And I, I think I think the customers, the people who live in the area, would be really happy with the change. So right? Chris, Christmas lunch. December 25th, 2023, show them yet? So. We're going to be there? Done. Are you going to be carving the turkey? Um, I'm, I'm not very good at it, but I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a good go. I appreciate right. your time, Sharam. Thanks Thank very much you. indeed for joining us today. Lots of questions about that one coming in. So it's nice of you to come in and oh, clarify. Sharam Shamsi is the Chief Executive Officer of Merex Investment Groups. Big changes down at La Mer in Dubai. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's talk real estate now. Delights to be joined on the line by the managing director of Dubai's largest private real estate developer, Damak Properties, Ali Sajwani. Ali, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me today morning. It's great to have you with us. Can we start with your anniversary? We don't normally cover company anniversaries here on the UAE, but tomorrow Damak celebrates its 40th anniversary, one of the stalwarts of the Dubai economy. I'm wondering, Ali, if your memory is that long, can you take us back 40 years to how Damak all began and, and the catering business, as I understand it? So I'm not even 40 years old, so, <laughs> but I'll try my best. So in uh, 1982, Damak started as a catering company in uh, Abu Dhabi, catering mainly to the uh, ad hoc and the oil fields and uh, in, in Abu Dhabi. We then did catering for the American Army, we moved into, we purchased an insurance company. Uh, we established a family office, investment house. And in 2002, we actually founded the property business. So it's 40 years for the group and uh, 20 years uh, since the establishment of Dema Properties. Uh, and of course, a big day for your chairman and founder, Hussein Sajwani, tomorrow. I know you've got big celebrations, fan. But can we talk about the, the real estate market here in the UAE at the moment? We know it's booming 
in 2022. You don't need to be a real estate expert or a surveyor to figure that out. But what are the dynamics for 2023? You've been, Ali, okay, you're not 40 years old, but you've been around long enough to have been through some (laughs) cycles in the Dubai real estate market, the ups and the downs. What are you seeing in your crystal ball for 2023? So we think this this boom is going to sustain at least through 2023, and we're quite optimistic at least till mid to end 2024. Uh, there's some fundamental differences this time around. Uh, number one, the buyer is an end user, where previously in the previous boom cycles we saw a lot of speculators coming into the market. Uh, supply is being controlled much better than it was in the previous uh, boom cycle. Uh, in addition, the payment plans today are very much uh, stable where developers are asking for 20 to 30% upfront over the first three months. Uh, there's no more post-handover payment plans, which means the investor and the buyer today actually has the money to do the purchases. Uh, mortgage rates have gone up, but we're not seeing a decline in sales, which is also very positive. And the, the global situation today is really helping Dubai. Well, let's talk about going global. Obviously, you're a Dubai-based organization, and this is your hinterland, but you've got developments in Miami, I've been reading. You've got developments in London that's very well established. There's plans in the Maldives as well. How important is global to you? Is it just a kind of sideline, or is that the future? Uh, Dubai will always be our uh, primary uh, place to do business. Uh, It's uh, Damak is a brand that goes uh, that has been around since 40 years as we're celebrating now for the international markets of course london we delivered our tower this year uh, miami's coming up we have projects in toronto as well uh, maldives we want to focus on global hubs uh, the global cities like new york los angeles hong kong in the future as well as global resort destinations like bali mauritius thailand along with the maldives Ali, you're a private company now. For a long time, Demac was listed on the stock market. And then you had the burden of quarterly reporting and analysts pouring over your numbers and the stock price would go up or go down. And you, you would be answerable on a quarterly basis. What difference does it make when you're making these long-term decisions to be a private company now who doesn't have to worry about quarterly numbers? Um, I'll give you one example. In the end of 2021, uh, we had handovers happening in Damak Hills too. Uh, and I went for a site inspection and I wasn't satisfied with the quality. So I delayed all handovers for three months. Now, if we were still a public company, I would not be able of, do, of doing, I would not be able to do so because, you know, you've promised certain numbers to your analysts, revenue numbers, profit numbers, and you have to try and uh, hit them. When you're private, it gives you much more flexibility to forget about the quarterly performance and focus more on the long-term performance of the company. So if anything, I think we've, able, we've been able to much better serve our customers and improve the quality of our deliveries uh, since going private. Can I talk to you about branded residences and, and how important they are as a sales tool? You've bought brands like Cavani and uh, Disagrono. You've teamed up with people like Ellie Saab, the designer, and of course, uh, famously, many, many years ago, Donald Trump as well. What have you learned about branded residences? What kind of premium can you charge? Obviously, there's a, there's a cost to tying up with these brands, but what are the benefits? The benefit, number one, is, of course, customer satisfaction and catering to customers' needs. Uh, I think us as humans, we have this... Uh, everyone really likes to be associated with a brand. Um, and I think we're trying to cater to that market and cater to our uh, customers' needs. 
whether it's projects with Cavalli or Di Grisogono or any future brands that we partner up with, the uh, the premium and the added value that the name brings to the building or the development uh, is clear. Where we're sending out our projects in a matter of 24 to 48 hours upon launching them when they're branded residences. My colleague Tom Urka is with me in the studio. I know you know Tom well. Uh, Tom, you've got a couple of questions, haven't you, for Ali? Yeah, just Ali, I mean, we obviously congratulations on the celebrations today for you, the family and the rest of the team. Uh, but I suppose the question I'm, I'm asking is more about the future and the role that technology will play in the future of property. We've seen the emergence of prop tech, etc. Uh, from, from a demand point of view, how, much, how important will tech be moving the brand forward? So we've focused on technology in a large way since um, late 2019. We won Best Developer App of the Year uh, with our Demo Living app, which caters to our customers. Um, we're actually building an entire e-commerce platform to make our uh, agents' lives easier when they're purchasing uh, from Demac on behalf of their customers. Customers can also use our e-commerce portal. It's going to be completely connected to our Metaverse platform, so users can actually, customers can enjoy, uh, view all of our properties before they're ready. Once we handle, once the customer has bought a pr- property and is waiting for handover, he'll be able to log into our digital platforms and still experience Demac, uh, meet his fellow community members, etc. So we're quite active in that space. Our family office is actively looking at uh, prop tech investments globally, uh, such that we can acquire smaller companies and add the benefits that they bring onto our platform for our customers. Ali, we've only got a minute left. Can't let you go without this. I follow you on Twitter a couple of days ago. Tweet of you and your brother in Qatar at the FIFA World Cup wearing Morocco shirts saying, with my brother showing full support to On Morocco. Your 40th celebrations are tomorrow night. Tonight, though, is the Morocco game. Where are you going to be? What are you going to be doing? You know, I was actually meant to fly to Qatar for the match, but because of the celebration tomorrow, I don't want to risk missing a flight and missing our 40th anniversary. <laughs> but I'm, I'm super excited for it, and I hope we make it to the finals. And I say we because I think Morocco represents all the Arab and Muslim countries in the World Cup, and I hope they take a cup. Ali, best of luck tonight. I, um, I've lived here 20-odd years, so has Tom Urker. So we are taking Morocco to our <laughs> bosom as well, and we'll be supporting them in force. Enjoy the game. Enjoy your 40th celebrations. Really appreciate you joining us this morning. That is the voice of Ali Sajwani. He's the managing director of Damak Properties. 40 years old tomorrow. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Yeah, one story dominating the headlines when it comes to crypto and blockchain at the moment. We're going to dive into that uh, momentarily. We're joined here in the studio by partner in international law firm, head of digital assets and blockchain. But as Dini was just saying there, better known as the crypto lawyer who's been advising entrepreneurs, investors and governments on digital assets and blockchain since 2016. So this is nothing new for Irina Heaver, who joins us live here in studio. Irina, first and foremost, thank you very much indeed for your time this morning. Thank you very much for having me and thank you very much for dedicating so much time trying to educate um, general public what is it that we're facing with because it's, uh, to be honest, that's a complete mess. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you're here to sort out this hot mess at the moment. So where are we at from one of the world's biggest digital currency exchanges to filing for bankruptcy protection in three days? Sam Bankman-Fried oversaw a spectacular implosion almost exactly a month later. He's been arrested in the Bahamas, charged with the fraud 
onboarding investors in the US. My first question to you, Irina, is how did we get here? Well, it did not start a month ago. It did not start three days ago, as you pointed out. It has started, I mean, some speculate that it has started from the very beginning. Some would speculate that uh, from the very, very beginning, um, customer funds were commingled, were used to buy properties, were used to uh, basically uh, divert to uh, political donations, media sponsorships, etc., etc. right? So um, that implosion did not happen uh, within three days. It started from the very, very beginning. Um, uh, Sam and his uh, team, or they're also known as Polycule, um, on social media were quite uh, speculative in a way. They sponsored anybody and everybody they could get their hands on, right? Starting from politicians all the way to journalists and the media. And that's actually quite appalling uh, because, you know, media is here to, to, to report on, on crimes being committed, not to write puff pieces about, you know, obvious criminals like Sam and his team. So do you feel there has been a difference the way that this, not so much the downfall, but the, the story, the, the success story, the rise of FTX has been reported in the past as opposed to maybe um, uh, everyday journalist on social media? So um, let's just look Literally um, six weeks ago, Sam was prancing around Dubai. He was prancing around Abu Dhabi and, you know, um, quite uh, respected business people. VARA, which is a virtual assets regulatory authority of Dubai, has issued FTX a license to operate in the UAE in Dubai. So, um, so yes, he was treated like a royalty that he was never. He was treated like the most amazing whiskey entrepreneur, which he never was. Um, why uh, did people treat him like this? Because, you know, um, uh, he was using customer funds to onboard celebrities like Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank, right? And using all other sort of celebrities. So he bought, he literally bought this charisma and the standing around him with your money and my money and the customer money, which uh, was entrusted with them. But Irina, is this being wise after the event? Or did you know two months ago? Could you smell it? So uh, a lot of people in the crypto industry could smell it. And I'll tell you exactly why. Uh, look at Binance, for example. Binance is the largest exchange. And we can look at the transactions that are happening. You and I can go onto the blockchain. That's the beautiful part about it. You can see all the transactions. FTX was positioning themselves as the second largest exchange. But we just could not see these transactions. Like, how could they be the second largest exchange? It just did not make sense. FTT, the token that they printed out of thin air, had so such low liquidity. Things just did not add up. Things did not make sense. But, and there were a lot of people on Twitter, and, and I love Twitter. <laughs> Please follow Dubai Eye on Twitter as well. Uh, I love Twitter, and I love the social, uh, sort of the, you know, uh, um, um, a everybody can be a journalist yeah. on Twitter. And Twitter space is absolutely amazing. Like at 3 a.m. today, I was on the Twitter space with Elon Musk. I mean, come on. Where else would you have such, a, such an opportunity to talk to Elon Musk? So a lot of people on Twitter were speculating uh, that things don't add up. 
and Binance themselves started selling the FTX token and exited from the FTX equity position about one and a half years ago, or maybe like a year ago. I, I, I don't hold me to the numbers because they themselves saw that something does not smell right. And unfortunately, uh, um, where is the smoke? There's always a fire. Uh, but of course, it's, 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 it's clever to be clever after the fact. But a lot of people were speculating that just so many things don't add up and uh, were exiting their positions. How about the reputational damage? Uh, obviously, we know the reputational damage for FTX and SBF and the brands they're in. But what about for cryptos in general? Well, let's be very, very clear here. Just because we're dealing with a group of criminals does not mean that the entire crypto industry is, uh, is, is corrupt and as criminal. And also, let's be also very, very clear here, there's Bitcoin and there's crypto. And I had just before I was uh, mm. hearing you talking about Metaverse, the cousin of crypto, Metaverse has nothing to do with crypto. But why do we have all these confusions? I'll tell you exactly. Less than 5% of the world's population holds crypto. Less than 5%. So, of course, people do not know the difference. Of course, people are confused. Of course, it's such an uh, such an early, such an uh, such a nascent asset class. Um, I've been uh, talking about uh, Bitcoin since 2014, and people would be rolling their eyes at me, you know, here in Dubai. It's like, Arena, why are you talking about all these crazy things? But in 2020, uh, and the first time I ran a Bitcoin meetup, one person showed up in 2014, rolled his eyes at me, saying, Arena, come on, you're a lawyer, you have a doctorate degree, please. Behave yourself, right? Behave yourself accordingly. But then in 2022, 9,000 people came to my Bitcoin meetup. So we are just so early and a lot of people are very, very confused. So to answer your question, what I would recommend is instead of getting buried in this, you know, drama, it is very exciting. It is very, it's like a... Um, it's like a Latin uh, uh, soap opera, you know, this Brazilian soap opera that keeps giving, right? You know, there's a dead cousin and then there's somebody came out of coma and then somebody's married to somebody else's lost twin brother. So here you go. This is the FTX and the SBF uh, saga that we're watching. But I would recommend people who are really genuinely interested in, to crypto, in, in crypto and Bitcoin, I would recommend that they spend time educating themselves rather being entrenched in this... Uh, you know, uh, in this in, mm. in this nonsense. In Irene, I've got to leave it there. We're out of time. Got the news just around the corner. We will get you back there, that's for sure, because we've only scratched the surface on this occasion. Uh, Irene Hever, the crypto lawyer, thank you so much indeed for joining us live here this morning uh, and give us more insight on this story uh, with SBF. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.